my name is Chris Ward. I am the teaching pastor on staff here at Friends Church. And it's great to be with you here this weekend. Hey, in just a second, we will open up God's Word. Before we do that, two very quick things. First of all, uh, I want to cut off any emails at the pass. And uh, the reason I say that is because those of you who are observant will be able to tell I do not have my wedding ring on this weekend. And I want to let you know it's not because there's anything going wrong with Tanya and me, okay? I, I take off my wedding ring. I usually put it in the same place every single time I take it off. For some reason, I took it off in a weird place or my kids took it or something and I have no idea where it is right now. So pray that I can find my wedding ring and then I also don't want to see my picture in any tabloids this week, okay? So that's first. Second thing I want to say to you, and this is a lot more serious, is I want to invite you back uh, here in this worship center for a special event this Thursday at 7 p.m. And that's because this Thursday at 7 p.m., we are going to have a prayer and worship night right here in this room. And this is going to be a really special night. I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to have a lot of our worship team up here, just like we had this weekend, and they're going to lead us in some great times of worship. And then in addition to that, we're going to be spending some time praying, and specifically, we're going to be praying for healing. We saw God do some amazing things last year in the area of healing, and I just really believe that God wants to do some even more amazing things in 2024. So if you yourself need prayer for healing for something, if there's someone you know that needs prayer for healing, we'd love to invite you to get prayed over, and then we'd love to just invite all of you. We want to see a lot of people come out and just praise and worship our God together. So that's this Thursday, 7 p.m., right here in this worship center. With that being said, now you can grab your Bibles. Philippians chapter 4 is where we find ourselves today. This week we're concluding this sermon series that we've been in called Flourish. And uh, as you find your place in Philippians chapter 4, I actually want to begin today by sharing with you a couple of verses from another book in the Bible. We'll put these verses on the back screen. Uh, These verses are probably pretty familiar to those of you who've been in the church for a while. It's Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. And Solomon is speaking here. He's said to be the wisest man who ever lived before up until Jesus, of course. And Solomon once said this. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And a rich couple of verses, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And listen, there is a ton going on in those couple of verses. We can, maybe one day we will do an entire sermon series just on those two verses. But for our purposes today, I just want to focus in on one phrase. And that's what you see highlighted there in the middle. In all your ways submit to him. In all your ways submit to God, Solomon says. And the reason I want to highlight that is because I think that phrase right there answers a question that came out of something I said a couple of weeks ago. You know, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you may remember I talked on the subject of how the Christian life is like a marathon of drawing closer and closer to Jesus. And one of the things I said in that message is I said this, I said the Christian life isn't so much about perfection as it is about progress. The Christian life isn't so much about moving flawlessly as it is about moving forward. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about what that meant. But out of those phrases right there, out of that whole idea, there is a question that can be raised. And the question is this, okay, Chris, well then how do we know that we're making progress in the Christian faith? How can we tell that we are moving closer and closer to Jesus? Well, that's a great question. And I think the answer to that question is found in this phrase in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. How do we know that we're moving forward closer and closer to Jesus in this life? Well, I think it's found in the degree to which every area of our life, is being submitted to, it's being given over to Jesus. It's found in the degree to which this book right here, God's word, becomes the grid 
because the becomes the framework through which we make every decision in this life. Because let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, okay? Let me tell you what I think is one of the greatest dangers we will face in our journey with Jesus. I think one of the greatest dangers that we will face in our journey with Jesus is that we would begin to believe that Jesus wants just part of us, but he doesn't want all of us. I think one of the greatest dangers that we will face in our journey with Jesus is that we would begin to believe that as long as we spend an hour at church on the weekend, as long as we spend an hour and a half in our life group on a Tuesday night, then we are doing everything that it is that God wants us to do. But that's not the case. The Bible is clear on this. Our Jesus, he doesn't want just part of, it. He, part of us. He wants all of us. And for Jesus to have all of us requires that every area of our life, notice what Solomon says here, in all your ways submit to him. For Jesus to have all of us requires that every single area of our life be submitted to him, be lived in the way that he wants us to live. And that's what it means to be progressing in the Christian life. It means to allow God and his word to increasingly have a say over every choice that we make, over every decision that we choose. That's what, it, that's what God's word teaches. Now, why do I share that with you here today? Well, the reason I share that with you here today is because today I have been asked to talk on what is without a doubt, I think, the least popular topic that a pastor can talk on in a church. Lucky me, right? And that's because today I have been asked to talk on the subject of money and of giving and of generosity. And all God's people said, ugh. And I know that, right? This is not a popular topic. And it is a topic I know that makes many people uncomfortable. In fact, I will be perfectly candid with you. I cannot remember a message in recent memory that was more difficult for me to put together than this message you're hearing right now. This is a tough topic. I know that. But despite how difficult this subject is and despite how uncomfortable it makes some people uh, to, to hear it, I really believe, men and women, from time to time, we have to address this subject. And the reason why is because of exactly what I just said. It's because God wants more from us than just our time here on Sunday morning and our time in our life, or Saturday night rather, and our time in our life group on Tuesday night. No, God wants our whole lives. Well, guess what? God cannot have our whole lives if he doesn't also have our wallet. And there is no way that we can submit all our ways to God, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 talks about, if we're not also using our money in the way that God wants us to use our money. And indeed, this book is very clear on this subject. God does want to have a say in how we use our money. And specifically what we find in this book is that God wants us to be generous. He wants us to give some of what we have to those people and to those organizations that further his purposes. And that's exactly what the passage I brought you to in Philippians chapter 4 is all about. The background for this passage I brought you to today is the Apostle Paul, who originally wrote the book of Philippians. He was, and some of you know this, he was a traveling missionary, okay? And that means he dedicated his life to uh, traveling around the known region at this time and planting churches and strengthening churches. And this letter of Philippians that I brought you to today is, is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he himself founded in the first century city of Philippi, hence the name of this letter, Philippians. And you know what is unique about this church that Paul is writing to? What is unique about this church is that this church that Paul is writing to, they supported Paul financially on several occasions. 
they gave several financial gifts to Paul as he traveled about his ministry. And so in many ways, because of that, do you know what the book of Philippians really is? Not a lot of Christians know this. But at its heart, the book of Philippians is actually really a thank you letter, okay? It's a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Philippi to thank them for the financial gifts that they gave him. In the same way that missionaries today and churches today write letters to thank those who have financially supported them. This is a thank you letter. And in verses 14 through 19 of Philippians chapter 4, we get to the heart of this thank you that Paul wants to give this church. And in this passage, and this is our passage for today, it's an extraordinary passage because as Paul thanks this church in Philippi for these financial gifts that they gave him, Paul gives us so many lessons about what God views, thinks about giving, about how God views it, and about what God promises to do when we give and so on. And it's just such a phenomenal passage for what we're talking about here today. So here's what I want to do, okay? As I was studying this passage this past week, I found a few lessons that Paul teaches us. In fact, there are three in total. And I'm going to unfold these lessons throughout this message one at a time because I think they will provide some insight and, and even give some clarity uh, to this particular subject that we're looking at today, okay? So I'm going to unfold these lessons to you. You can write these down if you want, but the first one is this, and I've already said it, but the first one is this. What Paul tells us in this passage is simply put, it's that God wants us to give, Okay? It's that it pleases God when we support those things that further his purposes. God wants us to give. And this truth, it's found a number of different places in this passage, but I think the clearest place is in the very first verse, in verse 14, where Paul says this. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. See that there? He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And listen, that's about as simple a verse as you can get in the Bible, right? But it's a very important verse. Because as you see, when Paul is talking here about sharing in his troubles, what Paul clearly is referring to by that, and this is what the next couple of verses will make clear, is he is referring to those financial gifts that the Philippians gave him. And as Paul says here, it's good that they gave him these gifts. And understand that for Paul, good is always good as it's defined by God. Paul was always and only concerned with how God views things. And so what we learn from that, therefore, is exactly what I said in this first statement. It's that God wants us to be generous. It's good when we give to others. That's what this verse makes clear. That's one of the things that this verse, is, verse makes clear. But you know what? There's something else that this verse makes clear as well. You know, on the subject of giving and generosity, probably the question that I get asked the most as a pastor is why do we have to give to the church? In fact, I have, I've literally had some people stand in this room and they have said to me, they've looked around this room and they say, hey, Friends Church seems to be doing pretty well for themselves. What is that, a jumbotron before, behind you? You know, you got two 25-foot television screens on either side of you. Why does the church need my money? Why do I need to give to the church? And that is an understandable question. And it actually goes along with a, a larger movement that is going on these days. I don't even know if you know this, but there are an increasing number of Christians these days who are beginning to question whether or not the Bible really tells us that, that we need to give to the church. In fact, there are a lot of Christians these days who will say that, that the Bible does call us to kind of general generosity in our life, but there's nothing in God's word that says that we need to give to the church, and so therefore we don't need to give to the church. And that's what some people will say. So what do I believe about that? Well, listen, I absolutely do believe that the Bible calls us to general generosity in this life. I do think that is a characteristic that we should share as Christians. But I do also think that there is a call in Scripture to deliberately and specifically 
support those organizations like the church that are dedicated to furthering the gospel and furthering God's purposes. And one of the reasons I say that is because of this passage in Philippians chapter 4, right? As we said, Paul was a traveling missionary. He dedicated his life to furthering the gospel. He dedicated his life to, to furthering God's purposes. And as Paul says here, it's good in God's eyes that the Philippians shared with him. Well, guess what? what? What Paul was dedicated to is what the church is to be dedicated to as well. And so for that reason and other reasons as well, while I do believe that the Bible tells us that we are to be generally generous, I do think a biblical case can be made that our first priority in generosity as Christians it needs to be our, to our home church, wherever it is. And so, yes, I do believe, contrary to what some people say these days, that, that to follow God's word is to regularly give a portion of our income to the church. As Paul says here, it is good when we do that. And understand, brothers and sisters, the good of that is not just because of the good that it does to the organization that we give to. But the good in that is also the good that our giving does to God himself. Now, what do I mean by that? Why do I say that? Well, let me explain. This is one of the more intriguing things that Paul says in this passage, okay? I want you to jump down with me to verse 18. Don't worry, we'll cover the other verses in just a second. But look with me at verse 18. Paul is continuing to talk about these financial gifts that the Philippians gave him. And he says this. He says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And Epaphroditus, by the way, was the guy who physically carried these financial gifts from the Philippian church to Paul. So that's why Paul mentions him here. But look at what Paul says next. This is the key. He says, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And if you're someone who likes to mark your Bibles, I'd actually encourage you to underline that phrase right there because it's a very important verse. As Paul is talking about these financial gifts that the Philippians gave him, he says this about them. He says, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And the imagery that Paul uses here, it's, it's very vivid imagery, isn't it? And in fact, it's imagery that is actually taken from the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Some of you know this, but one of the things that the Jewish people would do in the times of the Old Testament is at least once a year, they would take the best animal that they had, the strongest animal that they had in their possession, and you know what they would do with that animal? They would kill it. They would sacrifice it as a sacrifice to God. Now, why in the world would they do that? Well, the reason why they did that is because they did that to symbolically show God that they wanted to give him their best. They wanted to show God that they loved him and they wanted to show God that they really did believe that God deserved their best. And God's word tells us that God was pleased when they did that. Well, by using that Old Testament sacrificial language in connection with generosity here, what Paul is telling us here is he is telling us that our giving has the same effect on God as those sacrifices in the Old Testament. In other words, our giving pleases God, men and women. It shows God that we love him. It shows God that we give, want to give him our best. And so we give not just because of what our giving does to the organizations that we give to, but we also give because of what our, what our giving does to God himself. God is pleased when we give. It shows him that we love him. And so in light of that, let me ask you a question. Isn't that reason enough to want to give? Isn't that reason enough to want to be generous as God's people? Don't we want to do those things that show God that we love him, that show God that we believe he deserves our best? I know I do, and I know you all do as well. 
And that's a point that I really want to drive home here today. You know, this past week I was thinking about my kids, and I think about my kids every week, by the way, but I was thinking about my kids in a unique way this past week. And my kids, they're in sort of an interesting stage right now, and the stage that they're in right now is they're arguing quite a bit with their mom and me about the rules that we have in our house. And one of the questions they're asking a lot of these days is they're asking the question, why? Why do we, not, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to do that? And sometimes these why questions are over, you know, the dumbest things. It's like, Madison, we need to eat because that's how we live. That's not even my rule. That's God's rule, right? That's just the way that it works. But, you know, you answer these questions, why, enough and enough and enough. And there comes a point, maybe you parents are more patient than I am, but there comes a point where you just get tired of it. And there comes a point where you just want to sort of say to your kids, hey, kids, your mom and dad have asked you to do something. So you need to do it. That's reason enough. And some of you know where I'm going with that, don't you? You know, brothers and sisters, I could stand up here and I could try to sell us all on the benefits of giving. I could tell you, for example, the scientific studies out there that tell us that when we give, we are far happier than when we receive. And these are not Christian studies. These are secular studies. Uh, the science world confirms exactly what Jesus himself said, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And indeed, I will share a little bit later one of the benefits of giving. But I'll tell you what. There is part of me, and it may be the pastor of disaster part of me, okay? But there is part of me that is tempted to stand up here and to say, hey, Christian." Hey, child of God, you know why we're to be generous? You know why we are to give to the church and to other organizations that further God's purposes? It's because God has asked us to do it. It's because it pleases God when we do it. It's because we sh it shows God that we love him. That's why we do it. And that should be reason enough. Now that being said, let me say this very quickly because this is another question that I get on this question of giving and this topic of giving. And that is, listen, according to the Bible, giving is often defined as giving a portion of the income that you have giving into you, coming into you, okay? And so what that means is that means, obviously, if you don't have any income coming into you right now, if, for example, you are unemployed, well, then obviously you cannot give. And I want to let you know that God understands that. And in that case, there are other ways that you can give. You can give of your time. You can give of your talents and so on. And then when you get a job again, then you can give financially again, okay? And so I want to let you know this message really applies to those who have income coming in right now. But that's the first lesson that Paul gives us. God wants us to give. God is pleased when we give. It actually is a way that we show God that we love him. That's first. And it's out of this first lesson then that we get to the second lesson. Because when we begin to take this seriously and when we begin to give in the way that God wants us to, you know what our giving then is a sign of? Well, that's my second lesson and that is this. Our increasing generosity is a sign of our increasing maturity in the Christian life. Our increasing generosity is a sign of our increasing maturity in the Christian life. This is what we see starting in verse 15 of this passage. Look at me there. Paul says this. He says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Stop right there. And what is Paul doing here? Well, he is reminding these Philippians of their generosity. Apparently, this church was just an abundantly generous church. And Paul wants to point out that he has recognized that. But look what Paul says in 17. This is the verse that intrigues me the most. He says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. 
Not that I desire your gifts, but what I desire is that more be credited to your account. And I'll be honest with you, that's not my favorite translation of that verse. And the reason why is because the Greek word that is translated credited there is actually just the normal Greek word for fruit, like the fruit of a tree. And so if you want to translate this a little bit more literally, it'd be translated like this, not that I desire your gift, what I desire is the fruit increasing to your account. And the reason why that is significant is because throughout the Bible, that word fruit that Paul uses there, that is a word that is used to refer to any time that you and I do what it is that God asks us to do. Any time we submit all of our ways to God, as Proverbs talks about, the end result of that is fruit. You know what Paul is telling us by that then? Well, going back to what I talked about at the beginning, how do we know that we're progressing in the Christian life, men and women? How do we know that we're moving closer and closer to Jesus? What are the signs that we can point to? Well, there are a lot of signs, but in keeping one of the, with this passage, I think one of the biggest signs is what we're, was found, is found in what we're talking about today. It's found in how willing we are to give our wallet to God. It's found in how willing we are to spend some of what we have on those things that further God's purposes. That is a sign that we are growing closer to Jesus. That is a sign that we are maturing. And the reason why is because it shows us that we really believe what this book says about money. And it shows us that we really believe who is the source of all the good things in our life. This past week, I was thinking of one of the more interesting figures in our nation's history. We'll put a picture of him on the screen. Some of you may know who this guy is. Who is this guy? It's Bernie Madoff. You know who Bernie Madoff is? If you don't know, Bernie Madoff is the guy who masterminded the biggest Ponzi scheme in all of history. And in the early 1990s and in the 2000s, there were tens of thousands of people who entrusted to Bernie Madoff their hard-earned cash, their hard-earned money, expecting him to take care of it and to invest it and ultimately to give it back to them. But what happened to that money? Well, Bernie essentially spent it on himself, he spent it on others, and he lost all of it in the process. And I was thinking this past week, men and women, can you imagine that? Can you imagine taking the money that someone else entrusts to you and using it on yourself? Can you imagine, for example, getting to your retirement years and you look at your 401k and you see there's nothing there. And the reason why there's nothing there is because the person that you gave that money to invest to, they used all of that money on themselves. That's a terrible thing, isn't it? To use what someone else entrusts you with and to spend it all on yourself. I mean, who would do such a thing like that, right? Right? Do you see where I'm going with this? Brothers and sisters, that money that we have, whose, whose money is it? Who does it belong to? First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 12. I love this verse. David is speaking here and he says this. He says, you, God, are the source of wealth and honor. You rule over all. You, God, are the source of wealth and honor. You rule over all. You know what that verse is telling me? That verse is telling me I've been making a mistake throughout this message. And some of you probably picked up on it. And the mistake that I've been making is I've been referring to what we're talking about as your money and your wallet, but at the end of the day, it's not your money and it's not your wallet. Whose money and wallet is it? It's God's money. It's God's wallet. He is the one who owns it all. Everything comes from God. And the Bible affirms that over and over and over again. And so since all the money that we have ultimately belongs to God, you know what that makes you and me? We are God's money managers, brothers and sisters. We are his money managers. 
And just like the money managers we have in this life, God has not given us what he has given us to spend it all on ourselves. No, it's God's money, and God has a certain way that he wants us to use his money. Now listen, God is unlike any investor who has ever existed before. And that is because God is exceedingly generous. In fact, uh, the biblical case can be made from Scripture that God tells us that as much as 90% of what he gives us, he can use on ourselves. Now that's pretty generous, isn't it? Can you imagine saying to the person who manages your 401k, hey, 90% of what I give you, you can spend on yourself? That would be crazy, wouldn't it be? But that's what God says to us. And so that's generous. But at the same time, as I've explained in other messages on this subject before, the Bible does suggest that we are to invest at least 10% of what God gives us in the kingdom. That's what God required of the Israelites in the time of the Old Testament, and I think that's a good guideline for us today. If you've ever heard the term tithe before, that's where that number tithe comes from. Tithe means one-tenth. And so when you put all this together, men and women, what that means is that of every $10 that we have, every $10 that God gives us, $9 we can spend on ourselves. $1 goes to invest in God's kingdom. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Our God is pretty generous, isn't he? But that is, one of, that is the reason, one of the reasons why uh, giving is a sign of maturity. Because when we are giving what God wants us to give, then we are showing that we really believe this. Then we are showing that we really believe that everything comes from God and that we want to use God's money in the way that he has asked us to use it. But the opposite is also true. You know, if there were a money manager who spent all of what their investor gave them on themselves, we would say that individual has a little growing up to do, wouldn't we? And I think the same is true of us and God as it relates to money. If we are using all that God gives us on ourselves, it shows that we have a little growing to do as well. And I know that probably makes some of us uncomfortable here today to hear that. But I think I'm okay with that. And the reason why is I think it's a good uncomfortable. It's a necessary, it's uncomfortable. It's like when you go to the doctor, you know, and they begin to, to press on your stomach, which I find once you're in your 40s, they do a lot more. And they press on the side and you wince in pain. And the doctor sees that and he goes, oh, is that uncomfortable? Okay, that means that's something we need to check out. And I would imagine that's what the Holy Spirit is doing for some of us in this room right now. He's revealing an area that needs to be checked out. Because the reality is, money is a sore spot, pun intended, for a lot of people in their relationship with God. And that is because money is often one of the areas that we are least likely to submit to God. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, great hero of the faith, he once put it like this. He said, the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. And I think there's a lot of truth there. And ultimately, that is unfortunate. Because when we fail to, to use our money in the way, or God's money in the way that God wants us to use it, we miss out on some of the amazing things that God wants to do for us when we are generous. And that's my third and final lesson. It's this, God promises to be generous to us when we are generous to others. God promises to be generous to us when we are generous to others. Verse 19, Paul says this, after talking about how our giving pleases God, he says this, he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. 
And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And the point that Paul is making here is our God is a generous God. After all, he gave us his son, right? Our God is a generous God. And that is to be one of the motivations of our generosity. Our God is generous. And so we are to be generous to others. And when we are generous, God promises something. And what does he promise? You see it in that verse. He promises to meet all of our needs. And I believe along with most scholars, men and women, that Paul is not just talking here about spiritual needs. No, he is talking about physical material needs. When we are generous, God promises to provide for us. It's like what Anne Frank once famously said. And by the way, she actually said this. This is not a fake internet quote, okay? Anne once said this. She said, no one has ever become poor by giving. No one has ever become poor by giving. And that is true in more ways than one that is true. And I know it's true because I've seen it. You know, my wife and I, and by the way, make no mistake about it, my wife is the generous one in our family. I struggle with this much, much more than my wife. She's the generous one. But nevertheless, we have made it a commitment to try and see our money as ultimately God's money. We, we do this better in some seasons than others, but we try. And we have never not been provided for. Sometimes God's provision has been miraculous. I mean, I could tell you stories of amazing checks that have come in at just the right time. Most of the time, God's provision has been slow and steady. But nevertheless, God has always met our needs and then some. And that's what I want all of us in this room to experience. But here's the deal, okay? You have to try it to see it in brothers, brothers and sisters. And what I mean by that is this, you know, I know one of the reasons why some people don't give is they say, well, you know, money's tight right now. And so God has to come through for me first and then I'm going to give. But it doesn't work that way. And the reason it doesn't work that way is because God has already come through for us. Remember, everything that we have comes from God. And so if we want to see God come through for us even more, God requires us to take the next step. And that's the challenge that I have for all of us in this room. It's time, men and women, that we stop just giving pieces of ourselves to God. God deserves our all. It's time that we submit all of our ways to God. And one of the ways that we do that is we give God our finances. We give God our wallet. We allow him to direct how we spend what is ultimately his money. And so my challenge to you this week is why don't you take a step in that? And in fact, I think there's a step that every single one of us in this room can take. There are some of you here today, for example, you have never given to a church or to a ministry or something like that before, and that's okay. Well, why doesn't your step today, however, be to, to give something? Whatever it is, that's between you and God. But to give to your home church, to give to, other, some, minister, to others, some other ministry, and then see what God does with that. See if you miss it. See if God doesn't provide for you. I think you'll be surprised at what God does. So that's a step for some of you in this room, to go from nothing to something. There are others of you in this room, you have given something before, but you would say it's not consistent. Maybe this is the time for you to start being consistent in that. In 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul tells us to set aside money on the first day of every week to give to those things that further God's purposes. So maybe every week you want to set aside a percentage of your income. Maybe you'll start at 10%. Maybe you want to work up to that. That's between you and God. But you try to do that consistently. And again, you see what God does with that. I think you'll be surprised as well. And there are the, then there are some of us in this room, you do give consistently, and that's awesome. But I think there's even a step for, for those of us who do that in this room as well. And that step is to, to maybe stretch our faith a little bit. What would it look like maybe to try giving a little bit more? Or what would it look like to try giving a one-time gift that only makes sense if God is real? 
and to see what God does with that. In fact, I'll tell you what God will do with that. God will stay true to his word. He will provide, he will meet your needs. And you will draw closer to Jesus as a result. And that is the goal of all of this, men and women. It's about growing closer to Jesus and it's about helping other people know him. And when you give, that is what happens. And it was past week, I was talking to Pastor Aaron at our Eastfield campus. And Aaron tells a story of a couple in his church. And this couple is a couple who, uh, they hit it big in the stock market a few years ago. In fact, if you know anything about this news story, they invested in GameStop at just the right time. They made over $150,000, just practically like overnight. Now, if they wanted to, they could have just saved all that money for themselves. I'm sure that's what many people did, but they felt that to be faithful to God, they needed to give a portion of that away to the church. And so they wrote Eastville, our Eastville campus, a check for $15,000. And that ultimately helped pay for our, uh, the audio system at Eastville so that they could do church every weekend. Now that itself is amazing, but here's the reason I tell you that story, okay? This couple who gave to Eastville, they, they actually grew up here in Yorba Linda. They attended our college group. They attended Alpha and so on. And so you know what that means? Well, what that means is it means if you were here at this church during that time and you gave to this church during that time, did you know that there are people who are coming to faith in our Eastville campus that can actually trace their salvation back to you? Because you see, as you were giving through your generosity, you supported the ministries that grew and matured this couple. And it was God working in this, these couple's hearts during this ministry that grew them and, and encouraged them ultimately to give. And so every time that Pastor Aaron stands at that microphone in Eastville and preaches the gospel, it is because of your generosity that he can do that. Now tell me any other thing in this life that we can spend money on that can have that sort of ongoing impact. You know, the electronics that we spend so much money on, the clothes that we spend so much money on, the beauty products that we spend so much money on, I personally am guilty of that, right? If we're lucky, those things last us a couple of years. If we're lucky, most of the time, they just last us a couple of weeks, a couple of months. The money we spend on that is truly here today and it's gone tomorrow. But the money that you invest in God's kingdom, it goes on and on and on and on and on even after we leave this earth. Don't you want to invest in things that last. I said it a couple of weeks ago, right? When I stand before Jesus at the end of time, I don't want to have to say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, aren't you proud of me? I did just enough to get into heaven. Aren't you proud of what I've done? No, I want to be able to say to Jesus, Jesus, I gave it my all. I wasn't perfect, but I was always moving forward. I wasn't moving flawlessly, but I was always moving forward. I was always making progress. Well, let me tell you, okay, when you give to God and his purposes, you are taking a big step forward towards Jesus. Because you are showing Jesus that he doesn't just have a piece of you. He has it all. And don't we want to be people who give Jesus our all? Don't we want to be people who give Jesus everything? Well, this is one of the ways that we do it. Here's what I ask you to do. Would you bow your heads with me right now? We're going to enter into um, just a brief moment of, of just reflection. I have thrown a lot at you today, probably too much. But the most important thing that can come out of our service here today is that you would get the opportunity to hear from God. And you would get the opportunity to hear what it is that God wants you to do out of this message. And so there's one question I want you to ask of God right now. And that question is this, God, what are you asking me to do out of this? What do you want me to do 
And I believe to a fair number of you in this room, God will lay something on your heart. He will make something clear. There will be a step that he wants you to take. And then what I imagine is, is after God gives you that step, there's going to be some resistance. Some, no, I can't do that. No, that's hard. And what I want you to do is I want you to see where that resistance come from. Is it lack of trust? Is it lack of gratitude? Is it worry? Is it anxiety? Well, I want to let you know that God is bigger than that. And so ask God to take care of that. And ask for God's help to see everything as coming from him. So I'm going to give you a moment right now just to, to ask God, what do you want me to do out of this? And then I'll pray to close this. Father God, I don't want to leave um, this topic here today without just reaffirming uh, that you are a generous God. God, everything that we have comes from you, Lord. You are a God who gives and you give and you give and you give and you give and then you give some more, Lord. In fact, there is no end to your giving, Father. And God, when we are generous with what you have given us, Lord, that, that is one of the clearest times that we, we reflect you to the world around us, Father. And so, God, I pray that for every single one of us in this room, Lord, that a message on giving would be seen, Father, ultimately as a message on generosity, your generosity to us that motivates our generosity to others, God. And, Father, I pray, God, that we would never go a day on this earth without thanking you for all that you have given to us, for all the blessings. Some of we can see, many of them we can't see, Lord, but there are so, so many things that you give us, Father. And then I pray that each and every day you would give us ways to reflect that generosity to those around us, Father. That we would become generous people because we serve a generous God. And so, Father, as we close our time together here right now, God, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for your generosity. We want to express the gratitude that we have to you, not just for the financial things that you give us, but for the spiritual blessings as well. The biggest thing being your son, Jesus, who died on the cross to give us eternal life, Lord. Would we never take that for granted? Would we never stop thanking you for that, God? And as we are thankful, Father, would we turn that back into praise to you for who you are and for all that you do for us? And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, accept this final song as its own sacrifice of praise to you, Lord. Would we give you our best during this time because you deserve it and you deserve so much more. Father, we love you so much. And we thank you for all that you have given us. And it is in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray and all God's people said, amen.